0: chapter 5. Lord say you
1: 5 starting at verse 1 and would everyone stand for the reading of God's Word when dealing with the Beatitudes the Beatitudes have a certain rhythm to them and to get them rolling in motion, if you will notice that I continue to start from verse 1 as we exegete each beatitude. That's for a reason because the beatitudes have a flow to them. And we'll see more of that as we deal with today's text. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. We find these words. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them saying Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the are the meek for they shall inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled and our text of emphasis our verse is verse 7 that says blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain Mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's Word. And this afternoon, I want to talk with you from the thought. The Beatitudes, Part 5. The Beatitudes, Part 5. In earlier lessons, we have discovered that we are looking at the whole counsel of God. We have started and we have looked at these series of lessons and we've called them Jesus. The mind, the making, and the ministry. Because the Gospels are all about Jesus. They start with his beginnings. They start beginning to show us his mind, and they show us his ministry. And in particular, the gospel, according to Matthew, is designed by a Jew to the Jews to show Jesus as king. To show Jesus as king. Jesus has many roles. He is king. He is priest. He is savior. He is lord. He is the propitiation. He is the lamb without spot or blemish. Jesus has many roles. But Matthew's emphasis is to point out Jesus as king. And the portions of lessons that we're beginning to. Develop is Jesus' initial sermon and the sermon is called affectionately the Sermon on the Mounts. The Sermon on the Mount consists of chapters 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. They are the king's manifesto. They are the king's aims objections. It is also his desires, his requirements. It also tells us about what he came to bring. And in this introduction called the Beatitudes to the Sermon on the Mount or the King's Manifesto, he lets us know that he came to bring happiness. We've discussed that In America, that we have been given the inalienable right to the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the problem is that we live in a fallen world and that the objectives and the way by which we try to do it within our culture never quite gets there. We get the new job As we climb the corporate ladder and we think that that's going to make us happy. But when we get there, we find that we have to do all kinds of strange and on the border of illegal things to keep it. Sometimes our positions cause us to have to lie and to cheat if we're going to hold on to it. But we thought that if we could just climb up that ladder to vice presidency or a CEO or COO or director, we were going to be happy. But when we got there, what we found is a whole lot of long hours and not enough time to spend the money that we were given. It has come out to be empty. We thought after we got there, to the position, we got through our doctoral thesis, we we were graduated. we had the paper, we went into research, and we found out that we didn't have the liberty to research what we wanted to, but somebody else was controlling the purse strings. So it ended up not being so happy. We said, well, if... Now that I've got this good job and I've got some money, how about going out to the suburbs and buying me a big, nice house? A big, nice house with four bedrooms, three-car garage, and I might just drive an Audi. You get all of these things and you say, whew, I'm happy now. Oh, I'm rolling tight and I'm living right. I'm happy. But then the mortgage comes. And then you start to see that money going out like water. It seems like one minute you're paying it, the next minute it's due. And then before you know it, the house begins to settle, because you know they build these houses on, on some shaky ground. And you look up in the ceiling and you see this big crack. Now you're pulling your hair out because you got this big mortgage, but now you've got to fix your ceiling. Now you're upset. Boy, we was happy, but now it's starting to bleed. Because now things are starting to break down. Well, I was driving fast. I was going 75 in the 70 in my Audi. And then when I could look real close and see the cops wasn't watching, I stepped on it to 90. I love that exhilaration, but all of a sudden, pop, pop, pop. Now steam is coming from the front. And now I'm on the side of the road. You do know that cars do break down. So even in that, my happiness just started to flee. Jesus says that life does not consist of the abundance of things that men possess. And that ain't the way to get true happiness. And he comes into a scene where we've got these people who think they've got a leg up because of their biological descendancy. So people will say, well, you know, we're the chosen people because our father is Abraham. We got everything good and everybody else is beneath our feet. But Jesus allows them to know that even that is not enough. There's something that the king requires from his kingdom that is not what the people of this kingdom believe. Jesus told Pilate, when Pilate asked him, are you a king? He said, you said right. But my kingdom is not of this world. If it had been, my servants would have not allowed me to be delivered to the Jew. But my kingdom is not of this realm. Jesus comes with a new kingdom. He comes with a kingdom that's not from here, and that kingdom does not operate like this world's kingdom. It does not operate like the culture of the United States or Russia or any other country, any European country, anywhere, but it's totally peculiar to the king because the king has requirements, and he's trying to get through to the Jews and get through to us That happiness comes a different way. Not of the way that we've been trying to grapple for it, but it comes by the way of the king. If you want to be a citizen of the kingdom of God and you want to be happy, God has a prescription and it's in the Beatitudes. Because this word blessed can be translated happy. He says happy are the poor in spirit? Happy are those who come to God saying, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I don't have anything in me that is worthy of you. There's nothing in me that has a value and I am looking to you to fill me up. Happy are those who recognize that there's nothing in the sight of a holy God. That's what he's saying. He's saying, and then when you come in this way, yours is the kingdom of heaven. So until we come prostrate in a bankrupt mode saying, I've got nothing. I'm empty, Lord, fill my cup. We can't even get into heaven. Because it's those who come with poor in spirit who become citizens of heaven. But it doesn't stop there. It says that those who mourn over their sin, it says they will be comforted until we realize that we are sinful and that the sins we do hurt our God and we mourn over them. Are we comforted? But those who do that are happy. They're happy because they know that they have peace with God. They're happy because God is now allowing them to see a piece of glory. The place that we say we want to go, where the walls are jasper and the streets are gold. The place that we want to go, that's for eternal. Because you do know this life, any man or woman born of a woman, his life is short and full of trouble. Amen. So we we realize that this one is short. So we need something else because happiness ain't working here. But Jesus turns this thing upside down as the king and has these stipulations that don't readily fall into place for you and I. This is not how we like to do things naturally. But this is what the king is saying if you really want to be happy. If you want to be happy, you're going to be meek. You're going to look at yourself as less than others, You're going to put yourself in a position so that you can be servant to others. And the reason why is the meek have taken a bird's eye view of God. They've looked from the top down and, uh, and up from the bottom up and to see God in a way that he is holy. All around God, he's a type of holiness that we cannot obtain on our own. And it causes us to allow ourselves to be in a position That even when we feel like we've got our own rights, we're willing to be righted for the wrong. We're willing because we understand that none of us are holy like God. But the text goes on to say that those who are meek like that, those who understand that if you take my cloak, then I'll give you my shirt also, they understand something. Because when you see God you realize of what this text says. It says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Instead of us fighting so much over when somebody takes something that we believe is ours, we ought to go ahead and let them have it. Because it causes us a whole lot less stress. And we serve a God that the silver and the gold is His. The cattle on a thousand hills and the hills thereof. We serve the same God that says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell in it. Those who steal from you and the stuff that they stole is still his. He's got the power to give you that and more if you trust in him. But I see something else right here. It's why a meek person don't mind giving his stuff away when people want to steal it. You remember we talked about earlier about Abraham and Lot. They reached the point of the promised land and that Lot's servants started to fight with Abraham's servants. Now, Abraham was the heir to it all. Amen? He said he's going to be the father of many nations. But Abraham said, Lot, look, let's not fight. Let our servants not fight. I tell you what, you go ahead in front of me and you look at all this land that God has given If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. I'm going to let you have first choice. But that's meekness. That's power under control. Because really, Lot was a loaner. There wasn't any promise for Lot. It was the promise to Abraham. But Abraham was readily wronged for the right because he understood this beatitude. He understood that blessed are the meek, happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Lot understood that, go ahead. I mean, not Lot. Abraham understood that Go ahead, Lot. Get whatever you want. Because in the end, it's going to be given back to me anyway. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Abraham knew that God had for him something in the kingdom that was way greater than anything was going to be in the current promised land. So we got to realize when folk trying to mistreat us and take our stuff and that we don't need to get into a whole lot of battles and get caught up in um of lawyers' offices and judges and courtrooms and get all jammed up and tied up for nothing and get our blood pressure up and get our, our, our systems all out of whack, it's gonna be ours anyway. Amen. If we're meek, we're happy because this life is only short, but we got a life that's eternal. And God has already promised us that we shall what? Inherit the earth. So then we go on in our text to see blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. If you're really a child of God, you want more righteousness. Because we know that we sin and we know that we need to be molded and completed and be more like the son of God. So we pant and we thirst after righteousness because we need to be filled. And when you are hungry or thirsty, you don't want, if you're hungry, you don't want some food plus a new suit. All you want is food. When you're really hungry, you don't care about nothing else. You want food. When you're thirsty, you don't care about a big house on the hill. You want water. That's what you want. And so here he said, thirst and hunger after my righteousness. Don't thirst and hunger after some strange relationship and me. Some big time corporate job and me. He's saying thirst after me only. But he gives us a promise in Matthew 6, that he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll add all these things unto you. God is trying to get his people to understand that you ain't got to go about it this way. You ain't got to strain and struggle and bend and connive and scheme. Forget all that. Get after God and God will give it all to you anyway. He will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. The wealth of the righteous, I mean the wicked, are stored up for the righteous. Once we start to really grapple with that and really get a handle on it, our lives are going to be a lot easier than they are today. We're going to stop fussing and fighting over a lot of stuff that we're doing because we realize it's ours anyway. Blessed are the me, for they shall inherit the earth. We need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. But then we come to our text for the day, shining a sermonic spotlight on, ch- on verse 7. On verse 7, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain. Mercy. I don't know about you, but I need some mercy. I need some mercy because I'm a fallen individual that sins on a daily basis. Whether it is sin of omission or sin of commission. Whether it's the things I should have done or the things I have done. Whether it's the things I've thought or the things in my actions. And I need some mercy. I need God to keep judgment off of my back. I need God to keep from sending me where justice, if it had its way, I'd be in a burning hell. I need some mercy. But when the world, and even when the Judaizers heard this text, they were so carnal and so worldly, like our culture may be, they get caught up in this whole idea of reciprocity. The idea if you do something for somebody else, you will get it back in return. In some kind of proportion, you will get it back. But I beg to differ in a fallen world. I beg to differ that if you give somebody else a mercy, that they will always return it unto you. Because we live in a dark and a dismal and an evil world that some folks you'll give mercy to, and they'll put their foot on your neck. They will say, "Mm, well, he was the crazy one to do it in the first place. But now, since they've given to me and I've gotten up, I'm going to step on them and keep on moving. Because people are selfish. It reminds me of the story of the little boy on that cold day and he found a snake. It was a cold day and he found a snake shivering and cold on the ground. And the little boy looked at the snake and he, he could have went on. He could have let the snake go ahead and die. But he had mercy on the snake. He prevented the snake from just staying there and dying. He had mercy. He prevented. So he got the snake and he took him in the house. And the snake was shaking and almost at death. Because you know reptiles can't take cold. Amen. So they're in there and he warms up. And the, he's holding the snake. And all of a sudden the snake bites it. And the little boy says, "Ow, Ow! Snake, why did you do that? Why did you bite me? You were out in the cold and you were dying. You were shaking and all of that. And the snake says to the little boy, he said, Whether I was in the cold or I'm in the heat, I'm still a snake. Now in this world that we live in, whether they're black or whether they're white or whether they're Asian or whatever nationality, even though we show them mercy, some of them are still snakes. So what I'm telling you today is that this text right here, the mercy that you obtain doesn't come from this world, but it comes from the king. We need mercy from the king because mercy says, don't send them to hell and grace said here's heaven and one Friday evening in a place called Gogloth's Hill God in his infinite power had mercy on you and on me he had mercy that he gave his only begotten son that he allowed him to put nails in his son's hands nails in his son's feet he had mercy and the Bible said that the son of God stayed on that cross from the third to the ninth hour he could have called a legion of angels and came down and took him down but he had mercy the Bible said he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son the son loved us so much that he gave his life. He had mercy because if the son had not died that Friday evening, every one of us in here would be in a basket on the way to a burning hell. But I'm so glad that Jesus didn't come down over of that cross. He stayed on that cross Not because he had to. But he stayed on it because he wanted to. That's good news, children. Because he had mercy. So God is saying to us in this text today, if you want more mercy from God, then you need to show mercy. Don't look at reciprocation from man, but look at imputation from God. God will give you what you give out. That's your never run dry. You'll be like the widow in Zarephath that she had flour and she had oil but she thought all she could make is one more piece of whole cake bread and her and her son would die. But the prophet came along and said give it to me first representing God and God began to give an overflow that the took it down and they pulled The doors are the turns old. Hallelujah. It's good news from the king today, saints. That the king has a manifesto. That the whosoever wills can come. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic level is. It doesn't matter what you did last night. You can come you are because the whole idea is that he does something in you that you cannot do for yourself so if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today come right now and give your heart to the Lord he's given everything for you and it won't cost you nothing because Jesus paid it all come to Jesus you don't know whether you got another minute another hour Tomorrow ain't promised. But you can get your business fixed with Jesus today. He says, while you hear my voice, harden not your heart. Come to me while it is still called today. Today. Come.
0: On to.
1: And then after that are tithes and offerings. Amen. Amen. It's my hope that there was something said today that would encourage the saints of God. That we have a different manifesto than the world. And if we follow these things of the king, that is not a man that he should like, then we will reach that blessed place, that happiness that we all desire. But we got to do it the way of the king. Because we're pilgrims to a barren land. Our kingdom is not of this world. So the sooner we get on the track of our own kingdom. And start acting like those citizens. Happy we are. Let us stand.
0: Well,
1: bless your name, Master, for another time in your word. Lord, we thank you for every saying under the sound of my voice. Lord, continue to continue and continue to anoint their heads with fresh oil. Lord, bless every visitor, O God, Master, who thought it well to come to New Zion today. Bless every saint and member who thought it well to come, Lord, and let your word do all that you would have it to do. Lord, that we want to be more like your son, Jesus. We want to be right in your sight. And Lord, continue to strengthen us and encourage us to do the will that you would have us to do while it is yet day. Because night cometh when no man can work. But Lord, we thank you for the day. And thank you for the willing workers that are working in your vineyard. Lord, bless everybody as we go to our prospective homes. Lord, and everything that we have left to do on this day, Lord, in the blessed name of Jesus, we ask all these things, and the whole church saying,
0: Amen.
1: Amen. Please be seated and obey the ushers. Um, to the uh, New Zion family. Um, if you've got time, I'd like to uh, talk with you about a few things for a few moments over here in this section um, after you come around. Amen. And also, um, I know it's going to be a little long, but I'd also like to talk with the uh, our singing units and musician as well. Amen. Amen. Right after the first meeting. God bless you. So and now you're in the hands of our ushers for our offering.